Merry Christmas. I got to get that out there now. Some of you might not be around. Uh, this is the last time I may, might see some of you before you head off back home, celebrate the holidays for some of you. It's the last time I'm going to see you because you're not going to make it through your remaining finals. Uh, my apologies for that. Uh, you chose to go to school and get educated, uh, so I blame you uh, for that. I, I like the end of the year. I like the start of the new year. As part of the end of the year, I love all of the reviews that come out where they're like, best movies of the year, best shows of the years. Uh, I want to go through and walk through like best pictures of the year with you. It's just kind of a year-end review. Uh, I could have made every analogy Star Wars, but then that would have robbed my dear friend John of every sermon analogy for next week. He's going to be preaching next week, and I'm guessing that'll just be the analogy. Um, so I went a different approach this morning, just kind of looking at uh, 2015 year in review with some pictures. Some of these I'm guessing you've seen, but, but not all of them. I, and I tried to grab, you know, just a few from each sector. Um, the, the first series of pictures are just kind of the catch-all crazy, random weird, just like proof of what the internet's for. Um, like, like there's those of you who are in our midst right now. You don't have to identify yourselves, um, but you're, you're the pet lovers. You guys, right? Like, there's like this kind of stuff shows up <laughs> online. It's just like, what is that? Like, I, you should come visit me in my office. We should have a conversation about you and your relationship with your pet. Um, you're dancing with your pet. Um, I couldn't actually verify if this was in 2015. Uh, I, I choose to believe that it, it, that it happened this year, but I, I know we make a big deal about kind of the rivalries between, you know, like Minnesota and Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Vikings, Packers, uh, but there's really, there's really no rivalry when it comes to America versus Canada. I mean, look at, look at what's happening in Canada. <laughs> I mean, it's bad here, but it's not that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, it just occurs to me, we have people standing in the back, so if you have spots available, could you, like, move in a little bit? I see a couple little, thank you. I, I think some of those people might want to sit or they're seated, standing, kind of perched in the back there. Thanks. Um, I can't send them to Hope West because they'd just be sitting in silence. There's nothing actually being broadcast over there this morning. So, <laughs> you know what? You can just leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a Napoleon Dynamite. That's not uh, anything to be taken seriously. Total joke. Uh, this, is, this one's crazy. This is, these next three are like, I can't believe the timing of that shot. They, they actually took a picture at just the right timing. This is an amazing picture of a ship. Look at that. Have you ever seen one just that magnificent until you realize that's a kite? That's, that's not actually... <laughs> That's cool, huh? That's just a kite. This guy in the foreground, he's just like, wow, the timing of that, that's phenomenal. Did you guys see the one with the, the woodpecker carrying a weasel on its back? Did you guys see that one? Right? Like, how crazy is that? That this guy, and, and it's, it's not that just like the guy was taking a picture of a tree and that like in the foreground, this blurry thing. No, it's like he's focused on that. I actually read the backstory on this. He heard the weasel and woodpecker were in a fight, and so he got his camera fixed on them and took several pictures, and they, 
Then the woodpecker's like, I'm out of here. And the weasel's like, me too. And so, <laughs> so um, it, it ends up, the story ends with uh, the woodpecker landing. The weasel gets started by the people who are taking the picture and allows just enough time for Woody the woodpecker to get away. He's able to uh, get away to freedom. Nobody dies in, in this uh, nature story. This one, this one was, uh, was actually heartbreaking, but just crazy absurd that they had this picture. Did you guys see this one, like when the plane crashed? I mean, that is an unbelievable picture there. Um, this, these next two go into the category of like, I can't believe that was a thing. Like there was this picture that showed up in my news feeds of a blue and black dress. Did you guys see this? Like, it's just a blue and black dress. It's, it's a blue and black dress. I don't know why it became such a big deal. It's just a blue and black dress. I don't know why anybody would choose to make that such a big deal. Just blue and black. Right? Are we in agreement on that? It's just a blue and black dress. And then, um, you guys hear about this thing called the whip? Have you guys heard about that? That's like a... I heard about it. And then I heard about it some more, and then I heard about it some more, and then I went and watched it, and I'm like, really? Like that? That became a thing. And, then, and, and before that, I, I was still kind of like, didn't understand, and saw, saw, would see like people doing it in football uh, dances, and then my son came up, and he just like, went like this to me, and I, and I thought it was like his cue of like, dad, it's wrestling time, so I'm like, all right, come on now, come on. And it turns out he wanted to dance, not wrestle. Uh, <laughs> So, nearly 500 million views. That's crazy, right? And then Adele just, boom, right through that. Uh, just wanting to say hello to people. Uh, it's weird. Uh, we're a weird society, weird culture. We really have too much time on our hands. Um, I love some of the nature pictures. Like, I'm always curious, like, where do these flowers come from? Are they, like, actually grown somewhere? It turns out they are. Like, how beautiful is that, that we could actually, like, go and see these flowers in their natural realm? <laughs> Usually just cut and uh, bound up so I can give them to my wife. But, uh, like, that's, that's just fantastic. How about this picture of uh, sand? Again, I don't know if this is 2015. I was looking in different <laughs> news feeds for these. I... I think that's phenomenal. I think that's so beautiful. Um, again, not, not all parts of nature are beautiful. Some are uh, a little bit terrifying and, and hazardous. This is a storm coming in. I find it phenomenal that everybody's just like, let's just keep swimming. Uh, we don't often get to the beach. It's warm weather. We should just stay as long as possible. And, and tell those at the NASA you know, space station are like, no, you should really leave. You should go. That's... That's crazy, right? Like, that's a monster storm there. It was the, the super typhoon. Um, this one, this one, if you go, this one, you got to go back a few years to remember the double rainbow in the sky and the response of the commentator, how crazy excited he was for a double rainbow. I mean, this guy would have had a heart attack for the quadruple rainbow in the sky. You can see one kind of going through the trees, two more there, and then one is really faint and hard to see there, but... Imagine that guy trying to give commentary to that. <laughs> now, in, in the midst of all that, those are a lot of fun pictures, but our, our world has gone through a lot of serious struggle and challenges. I think of 
the different terrorism that we've seen. I, I'm not going to include a lot of pictures here because they are uh, tragic. But for me, there's, there's a picture of a beach and, and men in orange jumpsuits that for me just, it grips my heart it, 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 and it doesn't let go. It's just not something that I can just move on in through my day without um, just being compelled to pray, uh, just feeling the, the realities of our world in ways that we don't experience, at least not in a day in and day out basis. I think for many of the developed world, it, it changed when you know, the attacks happened in Paris. I mean, this is, terrorism's not new. It's, it's maybe newer to different parts of the world that we're um, living in and moving in. And we, we've developed this phrase, domestic terrorism, uh, different ta- attacks within the U.S. And so um, the, this is the reality of our worlds. In, in the same way that you have this beauty of, of nature, you have the storms of nature, you have these crazy pictures happening with a, a bird and, uh, and, and, a, and a weasel. I mean, there's just fascinating, crazy things happening, but, but many of them are tragic. We've had abuses of authority and, and violence and clashes along racial lines that, that have gripped our culture and I think are challenging us to have conversations that have laid dormant for too long. Many times it's, it's kids that help us in these moments and, and do something to show us a way forward. I just love this picture, right? You got this kid going to try to give water. And maybe... maybe for you, I don't know what, what the, the, the issue or the pictures that have gripped you this year, but for me, probably nothing rivals the, the refugee crisis. I just boats abandoned, clothes abandoned, life vests abandoned. Um, you know, just seeing in those who make it, just the, the relief, the, the, the painful anguish that it took to get to that point, and then different parts of Europe being impacted. And what, what are we going to do as a nation? What are we going to do as a continent with this and, and trying to help these people find refuge? When we say even refugee crisis, I think that it depends on who you're talking to. When they talk about crisis, some will look at it and say, well, this is a political crisis. Some will look at it and say, you know, this is a national crisis for us who are receiving many who are, are, are refugees showing up on our beaches. I think far above any way that we might phrase it. This is a humanitarian need. If we're talking about crisis, it's people in the world that have need for the basic necessities of life, like shelter, clothing, food. And they're fleeing because they just want to live in peace. And the picture, and I I cut it in half, just I I think you'll know why when I show it there, but the three-year-old... Alan or Alan, um, Curdy, who was found. There's just, there's nothing that evokes such a deep, visceral response within me as, as this picture. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's not hard for any of us to imagine someone in our own life going through that, desperate to escape. And in such moments, I think we can bemoan just what is our world coming to. And I want to share a quote from E. Stanley Jones, Eli Stanley Jones, from Abundant Living. Uh, that's a book, uh, a devotional book. He's a, a Christian missionary and theologian, one of my, one of my heroes, okay? So this is a, a person who was over in, in parts of India and uh, trying to share the gospel. 
He, he returned to the States momentarily to do some teaching here and was actually was kept from going back to India, was separated his family for years because uh, World War II happened and he couldn't travel. Um, prior to World War II, he was trying to help with American and Japanese relations. Um, has just done a phenomenal job um, in and around that time trying to share the gospel. This is what he says, and I love this, and I want to use this in the rest of our time together. He says, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look at what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come into the world. They did not in dismay say, look at what has the world come to, but in delight, look what has come into the world. Now, even as I state that and I put that up there and I challenge us with that, what I'm not saying is that then, because we kind of embrace this idea of look what is coming to the world, that that makes us ignorant or we turn a blind eye to the realities of the world. I'm not advocating that for the least. I wouldn't actually include all those pictures and actually bring that to the forefront if I didn't want it to address it. Like, no, no, no. God coming into the world at Christmas, Jesus being born of a woman, God incarnate, okay, that means that we can actually acknowledge the realities of the world as they are. And we don't need to dismiss them. Even at Christmas, when we want to talk about joy and hope and peace, God wants joy, hope, and peace for all people. And so I bring those to the forefront intentionally so. Not to make Christmas a sour note, but to be able to say, God brings hope and joy into the world for all people in the midst of every situation imaginable within the human experience. And for some of you, you are experiencing the high of Christmas. You're experiencing the joys of coming to the end of finals. You're experiencing the highlight of returning to family and friends, and you look forward with great anticipation to this week because for you, it is a joy-filled week because you have circumstances that lend itself to ease and comfort and peace and joy. But not everybody in this room. Many of you, this is a challenging time. For some of you, you can't go home to what home was in Christmas 2014 because that no longer exists. Something's happened this year that's shattered that, and it could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a loved one, loss of a job. Circumstances have changed, and, and you can't go back to some of those same experiences. And so I want to even more adamantly proclaim, are you looking at kind of what our world has come to? Or are you taking joy and hope and peace and solace in the fact that Jesus has come into the world? We're in a four-week Advent series called The Mythbusters Christmas. And in that, it is absolutely a, a connection to the show Mythbusters on cable. I don't have another video for you, I do have a reminder of last week's video in which um, they were trying to just, you know, see how far this guy could sneeze, and 17 feet is the answer. Um, fairly disgusting. Um, but this is a show about busting myths, and, and so we're using these four weeks to just look at some of the questions, the concerns, the criticisms, the, the myths that people believe about Christianity. And so last week we tackled the, the, the myth, the, the question, was Jesus fully God? And I looked at six characteristics of God from our Bible, okay, that he's everlasting, that he's creator, that he's Lord. He's independent or self-existing in himself. He doesn't need the creation to give life to himself. He has life apart from us. He's unchangeable and he alone is worthy 
of worship. And then I just stepwise went through and looked at how Jesus Christ actually is described with these same adjectives, these same attributes. And so we can rightly conclude that the teaching of the Bible says Jesus is, was, fully God. Not everybody holds that. Not everybody believes that. But the Bible's testimony on that is clear. Jesus is fully God. That brings us to this week. Was Jesus fully man? Now some of you may be thinking to yourself, is, you know, is that a concern? Is that question actually being asked? And, and maybe not from this church right now or from you know, a church down the road, but this historically has been asked as they've wrestled through who is this Christ? Who is this one who's come into the world? And so I want to take some time to look at that question in a little bit more uh, robust way, just answering that question, was Jesus fully man? And hopefully by the end, uh, those that are considering this question will be encouraged forward, but maybe not. Maybe you don't come in this service with that question, that you would all the more be solidified in your belief, in your trust in who Christ has been revealed to be in the Bible as both fully God and fully man. So let me, let me just tease out first some errors about the humanity of Christ, kind of going back, looking back on some of the historical struggle, and I, I want to uh, share some of this because um, this might be a little bit, we might be a little bit blind to this. So let me pull out some, some church history here. And if you've been online, you'll know these two guys. Uh, just go on YouTube and look up St. Patrick, bad analogies. And these two guys will question St. Patrick about the realities of, of Christ's humanity and divinity. They'll ask him questions about the Trinity. Now St. Patrick will give um, the orthodox view that that's true and legit. But these guys will then respond, we're not following you. We're not picking it up. Help us. And so St. Patrick will then try to grab onto some analogy to help them understand, which brings St. Patrick into heresy because every analogy breaks down uh, when you're discussing the Trinity and when you're discussing Christ. And then these guys just start calling St. Patrick a heretic um, and, and start teaching him the realities of the heresies. Quite a, quite a comedic deal there if you haven't seen it. Um, what are some of the heresies? What are some of the errors that people have believed throughout the years about the humanity of Christ? And even going back to the early church and, and as the early church handed off Christian understanding to the early church fathers and those that carried on the teaching of the church after the time of Christ, what were some of the errors that they fell, in, fell into? I want to give you three. One is uh, called Apollinarianism. Um, this heresy says that Jesus was not a real man, but not totally divine either. He was kind of this halvesies, uh, not holesies on either of those, but halvesies. And so uh, he suggested that Jesus had a human body and a human soul, but not a human mind, not a brain like us, just that there was something divine, this divine logos that filled his mind. So that was one of the heresies, that Jesus wasn't fully man. Why? Because he didn't have a brain like you and me. He had something else uh, there. Another one was Sabellianism. And all of these are kind of named after their founder, which is a bummer, right? That you, your name goes down in history for the wrong reasons. Um, it might happen for me uh, someday. Uh, so this was, this was a view that, that uh, God was the father initially, and then he became, God became Jesus, and then Jesus eventually gave way to the spirit, that they didn't eternally exist all the time, basically just they were different manifestations of God, which implies that Jesus Christ was purely divine and he wasn't fully human and he could not, the, the view is like, well, God can't suffer and die, so he couldn't have been fully human. One more here, 
Docetism um, believes that Christ was not a real human being and he did not have a real human body. He only seemed to be human to us and that's where that docetism gets its name is from um, the Greek word which is defined as to seem. So historically there's been challenges, there's been struggles. Is he fully a man? Is, is he a human being like, like you and me? And now I want to take you to the Bible and just say, how does the Bible answer that? Do we see that in the pages of Scripture that Jesus was fully man? Because what we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus being born of a woman, born a human being. And so what, is that, what does that look like? Where do we see that in the pages of the Bible? I have two, two areas here. One is kind of the general human condition, and, and, and two is kind of just experiences that Jesus would have had that are fitting of a human. For some of you, that, that, you know, it'll just be nine things. You won't see the distinction. Others of you will see like four or five more distinctions because you're studying like biology or humanities or something like that. So let me just walk through this. You can also pull out your insert. It's there for your, for your viewing there. What does the Bible say about Jesus' humanity? Let's, let's look at these. Number one, under this kind of general condition of, of humanity, he assumed he assumed, he, he received, he had a human nature. It says in John 1, the word, and we talked about this last week, right? The word is in reference to the son. The word, or Jesus, became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It goes on to say that no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, the son, has made him known. Jesus Christ has made the invisible God visible, not just because he is God, but because he became a man. This is followed up in 1 John chapter 4, where we read, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So that shows, that first John passage shows the importance of this. We have to believe that Jesus wasn't just God, but he was also fully man. Number two, he had a human descent. There's lineage. You can trace his ancestry as uh, Matthew's gospel does in chapter one. Here from Matthew 13, it says, coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. And look at the questions that are asked. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they, they ask. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? We know his ancestry. We know his people. We know his family. They're not that bright, right? <laughs> right, he's a carpenter. He's a carpenter's kid, okay? We know them. How did he get filled with so much wisdom if that's kind of the family he came from? It's phenomenal. In another part of scripture, there's actually a belief of this idea like, okay, when, Messiah's, when Messiah comes, we, we won't know where he came from. He'll just show up. That was one of the beliefs. It was a mistaken belief, but it was one of the beliefs that they had. But Jesus showing himself a part of human descent that he's found in the ancestry could go back and read all the names in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, well, why don't you do that uh, on your Christmas gathered around the tree there? Um, let's go on. Number three, he had a normal body. I'm not trying to like, 
um, belittle or, or just speak too much elementary, but it just, like, this was in doubt that he could touch and be touched. He had a normal body. First John 1 records, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, but that's not just enough, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus can touch people. He did touch people, and he can be touched, right? When the disciples are sent out, they come back, they report. I'm guessing there were high fives. Like, you can give Jesus a high five, okay? Let's do one more. He had a soul. Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me, okay? It's not just that he had heart or, or, or brain or body. He had a soul, a spirit, so these would be indications that Jesus shared in humanity. But not just that. This is where I think it gets a very beneficial, very helpful for us as his followers, is that he experienced what you and I experience day in and day out. In everyday life, he went through the same experiences. Let's, let's look at five of these now. Number one, he was born. Merry Christmas. He was born. I want to read from Matthew's account of the birth of of Jesus. I, I don't know much in preaching, but I, I know on Easter I got to get Jesus uh, up from the grave, uh, you know, dead and, and risen on Easter Sunday. And I know at Christmas we got to get him born. So this is Matthew 1 account of Jesus' birth, okay? It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about, right? The birth, the birth of a human, the birth of a boy. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." He's gonna, she's going to give birth to what? To a son, to a boy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, which I quoted last week. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not con consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. We're going to walk through this story in greater detail through the Storybook Bible on Christmas Eve. I highly recommend that you be a part of that one-hour service. We're going, to, we're going to walk through the Storybook Bible, some of the accounts of Luke 2 and uh, Matthew 1 and 2. And we're going to get to sing some amazing songs about the birth of Jesus. But, but it should not be lost, kind of given the sermon series that we're in here, that Jesus was born. If you actually go to the book of Galatians, where Paul is unpacking rich theology about the gospel, about the good news, about how it is that God saves us, he puts in there Jesus, born under the law, born of a woman. Like, that's a part of the gospel, is that Jesus became a man. It's not tangential. It's not just assumed. Like, no, no, no. That's a part of the gospel. God incarnate. God became a man. He was born, and we celebrate that truth at Christmas. As a human, he grew and developed. As a human being, he grew 
and developed. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Just like you, just like me, just like the kids in Sunday school and nursery, Jesus grew in stature. He grew in size. He grew in wisdom. That's fascinating. Next question you might have is, so how does that kind of come together with his divinity? I don't know. That's, that's fascinating, right? Like did, was Jesus getting taught in synagogue? And he's like, you only have to tell that kid once. He just picks up on everything. You know, just like, that'd be great, right? It's phenomenal. But he grew in stature. He grew and was filled with wisdom as the grace of God was on him. Number three, he experienced hunger, thirst, and tiredness. John 4 says this. Jacob's well was there. This is his encounter with the, Samar- the woman, uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Why? Because he was hungry. Why didn't he just multiply? I don't know, all right? Um, interesting, though. When you pair this with some of the other passages about God, right? If you go to the Psalms, one of the great encouragements to the psalmist is that God doesn't slumber or sleep. He's just always awake. He's always at the ready. He's always open to receiving a prayer, okay? But Jesus tired. Jesus slept. Jesus slept in the boat when there was the storm, right? See, in a different part of Scripture, God doesn't need anything. You don't need to give God food or water, but here Jesus, his humanity is showcased. He gets hungry. He gets thirsty. How about this? Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Have you thought about that? His humanity showcased Amidst this temptation. Now, I've struggled because, you know, one of the questions I had about this back in the, the, in the day was just like, all right, well, uh, has Jesus been tempted in the same way that I have me being a husband? He wasn't a husband. He wasn't an earthly father. So what do I do with that? And I, I think it's generally speaking, like what, whatever the temptation, whatever category that is for me, Jesus had that, okay? Because all scripture doesn't make sense where it says, no, no, he was tempted in every way, just as you and I were. It might not be literally down to the, 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 the last I and, and T there, but whatever way, whatever button that pushes us in temptation, Jesus, there was that temptation that had that button pushed in the same way. Yet he did not sin. That's obviously distinct from us, but he was tempted. He was put in situations of temptation. I just think about it the end of his life, where we might be tempted to preserve our life in the face of death. Jesus, Jesus had that, that struggle, that temptation. And ultimately he says, not my will but yours be done. But he's able to empathize with us. Not from afar, not from a God that's just far off, but because he came and dwelt among us, lived as a guy. One more Jesus partook of human experiences, including suffering and death. Human experiences of suffering and death. 
1 Peter 4 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, just that last part, just want to make sure we're clear on something. Um, those who suffer in the body, those are those uh, people who have the same attitude or have sided with Christ, believe in Jesus, okay? And done with sin doesn't mean perfect, doesn't mean like stop sinning, but there is this idea of like, no, no, that sin is no longer going to fuel me, no longer going to give me life, and so I'm done with it from that vantage point, though I will struggle with it. So just want to be clear on that. But ultimately, the point is to say what? Christ suffered. This would go against the Sabellianism, right, that believed like, no, 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 Jesus, he avoided that. He wasn't fully a human. He wasn't going to experience suffering and death like everybody else. Like, no, 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 the Bible's clear. He did experience suffering as a man, and then he also experienced death. Hebrews 2 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So if you caught nothing in all that, that was a lot of scripture, I understand that, a lot of Bible there. I left about half the Bible on the cutting room floor. Um, didn't want to just segue from this service into the Christmas Eve service, give you a little break. Ultimately, though, what does it boil down to? Charles Spurgeon says this, Christ was not a deified man, neither was he a humanized God, he was perfectly God, and at the same time, perfectly man, made like unto his brethren in all things. To sum it up, fully God, fully man. So, so what? Who cares? What, what does that do for us? How does that help us? I want to give you four things. Okay, four things to walk away from this service thinking about bringing forward with you as you celebrate Christmas, you know, as you do the holidays, whether here or, or away from here, okay? I want to give you four things to consider, to give you joy, to give you hope, to give you peace. Again, not because you're looking with dismay at what the world has come to, but rather you're choosing with delight to remember the one who has come into the world, okay? Four things. Number one, this Christmas, take joy that Jesus has made atonement for your sin, atonement for my sin as a man. It says this reason, he had to be made like us, made like them, made like people, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. We say that every Sunday. It could become so common as to be rote, cold, lifeless. Hope me, don't ever forget, Jesus saves you. He's the Savior sent to the world. As the Storybook Bible talks about, he's our rescuer. You need to be rescued from yourself, from your sin. And he does it. He makes atonement. He covers for us. We can have our lives hidden in him. Number two, he helps us in our temptation. Why? Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. 
I don't know how you perceive me or perceive Steve or perceive our worship team or perceive pastors or our staff. We struggle with temptation. It's not like the temptation only comes to like the people out in the pews and once we get on stage, we like have this like nice fenced off area where it's like, yeah, no, life is good over here. There's no, there's no struggle in my relationship with God. It's just, it's all coming up gold. Like, no, we, we struggle. There's temptation. Yet how beautiful is it for you and for me that Jesus knows what you're going through? Not because he experienced the life you're living, but because he experienced life with his own set of circumstances, with his own dad, his own mom, his own siblings, his own ministry, going about trying to share the gospel in everyday life. How great is it that he knows what you're going through and he wants to help you in the midst of that temptation. Take hope in that. And not just that he like empathizes like, hey, like your buddy, like I know what you're going through. It's like, no, no, no. Can I give you more of my spirit? Like he actually can give you his Holy Spirit in great quantity, depth, just soaking in God in all his fullness. Number three, he gives us resurrection from the dead. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man that the Father raises from the dead this human being, his son, Jesus. Resurrection comes through him. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. One more. He is our example, especially so in suffering. Verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As you look at your world, and your world, you might be thinking internationally, you might be thinking nationally, you might be thinking about our city, you might be thinking about your relationship with your roommates or your immediate family, or you might be thinking about who you're going home to for the holidays. It's just gripping, and with dismay, you might be tempted to just say, what has our world come to? What is going on? Jesus Christ has lived in this world as a man and suffered and set for us an example that in the midst of suffering, no deceit, committed no sin, take heart, he has overcome what? The world. With all its trappings, all its struggles, he's overcome the world. I want to read from Damon Winter. He's a photographer. I'm going to show you one more picture from 2015. And it resonated with me maybe a little bit more deeply than it will with you because I actually went to Palm Springs, California. My parents were out there. First year that both of them retired, they went out there, spent uh, a month out there. We got to go visit as a family. Okay? Um, and and he was trying to encapsulate some of the struggle that was happening out there. Why? Because of the drought. Okay? 
Damon Winter about this next picture. I'm, I'm gonna, ooh, suspense. It's building. Can you feel it? Okay. About this picture from Palm Springs, he says this, and this this reads like like from the mouth of a preacher. This is phenomenal. For the first part of our long-term project covering the devastating drought in the western United States, we wanted images that got to the heart of the struggle between man and nature. The desire to conquer an inhospitable land. I searched through satellite images of Palm Springs and the Coachella Valley, looking for locations that showed this juxtaposition of the California dream and the harsh reality of the parched west. They weren't hard to find. The aim wasn't to show, was not to show this as a drought-stricken area. This is what it always looks like. The point was to show the extreme lengths we go to live and live well in a place that was not meant for us. That's crazy, right? I just, I want to just paint a picture of the reality, okay? Many times when we're in the desert, we want the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas to mean God come and rescue us out of this world. Just take us from it. I don't want the suffering to stop. I want the pain to end. I want, I'm done. On the opposite end of that spectrum are people that simply want to make a heaven of earth and to insulate ourselves from the struggles and the challenges and the realities. Friends, it came to Jesus. Jesus suffered and died. We can't escape certain realities. It's a part of the human experience in this world. And so we have a choice this Christmas. Are we going to bemoan what we believe our world has come to? Are we going to take a great amount of hope and solace and peace and joy? It is an informed peace and joy and hope. It's informed and it's filled with the realities of the world as they are, not just because we've sheltered ourselves off from the rest of the world. But we can take hope and joy and peace in the midst of the world with all of its challenges, with all of its pain and its suffering. Christ came into a world filled with pain and suffering and brokenness, and it was said, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let's pray together.